The Hobby Rider by Jerome K. Jerome. Coffee Break Collection 28 Hobbies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. The Hobby Rider. Bump, 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 bump. I sat up in bed and listened intently. It seemed to me as if someone with a muffled hammer were trying to knock bricks out of the wall. Burglars, I said to myself. One assumes as a matter of course that everything happening in this world after 1 a.m. is due to burglars. And I reflected what a curiously literal but at the same time slow and cumbersome method of housebreaking they had adopted. The bumping continued irregularly, yet uninterruptedly. My bed was by the window. I reached out my hand and drew aside a corner of the curtain. The sunlight streamed into the room. I looked at my watch. It was ten minutes past five. A most unbusinesslike hour for burglars, I thought. Why, it will be breakfast time before they get in. Suddenly there came a crash, and some substance striking against the blind fell upon the floor. I sprang out of bed and threw open the window. A red-haired young gentleman, scantily clad in a sweater and a pair of flannel trousers, stood on the lawn below me. "'Good morning,' he said cheerily. "'Do you mind throwing me back my ball?' "'What ball?' I said. "'My tennis ball,' he answered. "'It must be somewhere in the room. It went clean through the window.' I found the ball and threw it back to him. "'What are you doing?' I asked. "'Playing tennis?' no he said i'm just practicing against this side of the house it improves your game wonderfully it don't improve my night's rest i answered somewhat surly i fear i came down here for peace and quiet can't you do it in the daytime <laughs> daytime he laughed why it has been daytime for the last two hours never mind i'll go round to the other side he disappeared around the corner and set to work at the back, where he woke up the dog. I heard another window smash, followed by a sound as of somebody getting up violently in a distant part of the house, and shortly afterwards I must have fallen asleep again. I had come to spend a few weeks at a boarding establishment in Deal. He was the only other young man in the house, and I was naturally thrown a good deal upon his society. He was a pleasant, genial young fellow, but he would have been better company had he been a little less enthusiastic as regards tennis. He played tennis ten hours a day on the average. He got up romantic parties to play it by moonlight, when half his time was generally taken up in separating his opponents and godless parties to play it on Sundays. On wet days I have seen him practicing services by himself in a Macintosh and galoshes. He had been spending the winter with his people at Tangiers, and I asked him how he liked the place. "'Oh, a beast of a hole,' he replied. "'There is not a court anywhere in the town. We tried playing on the roof, but the mater thought it dangerous.' Switzerland he had been delighted with, 
he counselled me next time i went to stay at zermatt there is a capital court at zermatt he said you might almost fancy yourself at wimbledon a mutual acquaintance whom i subsequently met told me that at the top of the jungfrau he had said to him his eyes fixed the while on a small snow plateau enclosed by precipices a few hundred feet below them by jove that wouldn't make half a bad little tennis court that bit of flat down there have to be careful you didn't run back too far when he was not playing tennis or practicing tennis or reading about tennis he was talking about tennis renshaw was a prominent figure in the tennis world at that time and he mentioned renshaw until there grew up within my soul a dark desire to kill renshaw in a quiet unostentatious way and bury him one drenching afternoon he talked tennis to me for three hours on end referring to renshaw so far as i kept count four thousand nine hundred and thirteen times after tea he drew up his chair to the window beside me and commenced have you ever noticed how renshaw i said suppose someone took a gun someone who could aim very straight and went out and shot renshaw till he was quite dead would you tennis players drop him and talk about somebody else oh but who would shoot renshaw he said indignantly never mind i said suppose someone did well then there would be his brother he replied i had forgotten that well we won't argue about how many of them there are i said suppose someone killed the lot would we hear less of renshaw never he replied emphatically renshaw will always be a name wherever tennis is spoken of i dread to think what the result might have been had his answer been other than it was the next year he dropped tennis completely and became an ardent amateur photographer whereupon all his friends implored him to return to tennis and sought to interest him in talk about services and returns and follies and in anecdotes concerning renshaw but he would not heed them whatever he saw wherever he went he took he took his friends and made them his enemies he took babies and brought despair to fond mothers hearts he took young wives and cast a shadow on the home once there was a young man who loved not wisely so his friends thought but the more they talked against her the more he clung to her then a happy idea occurred to the father he got beggarly to photograph her in seven different positions when her lover saw the first he said what an awful-looking thing who did it when beggarly showed him the second he said but my dear fellow it's not a bit like her you've made her look an ugly old woman at the third he said whatever have you done to her feet they can't be that size you know it isn't in nature at the fourth he exclaimed but heavens man look at the shape you've made her where on earth did you get the idea from at the first glimpse of the fifth he staggered great scott he cried with a shudder what a ghastly expression you've got into it it isn't human bigley was growing offended but the father who was standing by came to his defence it's nothing to do with bigley exclaimed the old gentleman suavely it can't be his fault 
what is a photographer simply an instrument in the hands of science he arranges his apparatus and whatever is in front of it comes into it no continued the old gentleman laying a constrained hand on begley who was about to resume the exhibition don't don't show him the other two i was sorry for the poor girl for i believe she really cared for the youngster and as for her looks they were quite up to the average but some evil sprite seemed to have gotten into begley's camera it seized upon defects with the unerring instinct of a born critic and dilated upon them to the obscuration of all virtues a man with a pimple became a pimple with a man as a background people with strongly marked features became merely adjuncts to their own noses one man in the neighborhood had undetected worn a wig for fourteen years begley's camera discovered the fraud in an instant and so completely exposed it that the man's friends wondered afterwards how the fact could ever have escaped them the thing seemed to take a pleasure in showing humanity at its very worst babies usually came out with an expression of low cunning most young girls had to take their choice of appearing either as simpering idiots or embryo vixens to mild old ladies it generally gave a look of aggressive cynicism our vicar as excellent an old gentleman as ever breathed begley presented to us as a beetle-browed savage of a peculiarly low type of intellect while upon the leading solicitor of the town he bestowed an expression of such thinly veiled hypocrisy that few who saw the photograph cared ever again to trust him with their affairs as regards myself i should perhaps make no comment i am possibly a prejudiced party all i will say therefore is that if i in any way resemble begley's photograph of me then the critics are fully justified in everything they have at any time anywhere said of me and more nor i maintain though i make no pretence of possessing the figure of apollo is one of my legs twice the length of the other and neither does it curve upwards this i can prove begley allowed that an accident had occurred to the negative during the process of development but this explanation does not appear on the picture and i cannot help feeling that an injustice has been done me his perspective seemed to be governed by no law either human or divine i have seen a photograph of his uncle and a windmill judging from which i defy any unprejudiced person to say which is the bigger the uncle or the mill on one occasion he created quite a scandal in the parish by exhibiting a well-known and eminently respectable maiden lady nursing a young man on her knee the gentleman's face was indistinct and he was dressed in a costume which upon a man of his size one would have estimated him as rising six foot four inches appeared absurdly juvenile he had one arm around her neck and she was holding his other hand and smirking i knowing something of begley's machine willingly accepted the lady's explanation which was to the effect that the male in question was her nephew aged eleven but the uncharitable ridiculed this statement and appearances were certainly against her 
It was in the early days of the photographic craze, and an inexperienced world was rather pleased with the idea of being taken on the cheap. The consequence was that nearly everyone for three miles round sat or stood or lent or laid to Begley at one time or another, with the result that a less conceited parish than ours it would have been difficult to discover. No one who had once looked upon a photograph of himself taken by Begley ever again felt any pride in his personal appearance. The picture was invariably a revelation to him. Later, some evil-disposed person invented Kodaks, and Begley went everywhere slung onto a thing that looked like an overgrown missionary box, and that bore a legend to the effect that, if Begley would pull the button, a shameless company would do the rest. Life became a misery to Begley's friends. Nobody dared to do anything for fear of being taken in the act. He took an instantaneous photograph of his own father swearing at the gardener, and snapped his youngest sister and her lover at the exact moment of farewell at the garden gate. Nothing was sacred to him. He kodaked his aunt's funeral from behind, and showed the chief mourner but one whispering a funny story into the ear of the third cousin as they stood behind their hats beside the grave. Public indignation was at its highest when a newcomer to the neighborhood, a young fellow named Heinoth, suggested the getting together of a party for a summer's tour in Turkey. Everyone took up the idea with enthusiasm and recommended Begley as the party. We had great hopes from that tour. Our idea was that Begley would pull his button outside a harem or behind a sultana, and that a bashi bazook or a janissary would do the rest for us. We were, however, partly doomed to disappointment. I say partly, because, although Begley returned alive, he came back entirely cured of his photographic craze. He said that every English-speaking man, woman, or child whom he met abroad had its camera with it, and that after a time the sight of a black cloth or the click of a button began to madden him. He told us that on the summit of Mount Tutra, in the Carpathians, the English and American amateur photographers waiting to take the grand panorama were formed by the Hungarian police in a queue, two abreast, each with his or her camera under his or her arm, and that a man had to stand sometimes as long as three and a half hours before his turn came round. He also told us that the beggars in Constantinople went about with placards hung around their necks, stating their charges for being photographed. One of these price lists he brought back with him as a sample. It ran, one snapshot back or front, two francs, one snapshot with expression, three francs, one snapshot surprised in quaint attitude, four francs, one snapshot while saying prayers, five francs, one snapshot while fighting, ten francs. He said that in some instances where a man had an exceptionally villainous cast of countenance, or was exceptionally deformed, as much as twenty francs were demanded and readily obtained. He abandoned photography and took to golf. He showed people how, by digging a hole here and putting a brick bed or two there, 
they could convert a tennis lawn into a miniature golf link, and did it for them. He persuaded elderly ladies and gentlemen that it was the mildest exercise going, and would drag them for miles over wet gorse and heather, and bring them home dead beat, coughing, and full of evil thoughts. The last time I saw him was in Switzerland, a few months ago. He appeared indifferent to the subject of golf, but talked much about whist. We met by chance at Grindelwald, and agreed to climb the Fallhorn together next morning. Halfway up we rested, and I strolled on a little way by myself to gain a view. Returning, I found him with a Cavendish in his hand, and a pack of cards spread out before him on the grass, solving a problem. End of the Hobby Writer